All right, if you have a Bible, whether online or here at the church or on your phone, please go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I want to look at um, a seminal passage in the Bible on church community, Acts chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 42, and uh, I want to look at four values that I want to bake into our church ministry and culture um, here at the tabernacle. I'm going to get these values from Acts chapter 2. And if you're able, could you stand with me as I read this really important passage? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, Luke is telling us and summarizing the activities of the earliest church. This is a fascinating passage on the early expression of Christianity. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it goes like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. What a great passage. What an honor to get to talk about it. Last week, I took note, we kind of said something together as we were talking, and one of the things that we said is that we actually believe that it is God's will that every man, woman, and child belong to a healthy church community. We said that, that this is not optional, that this is actually essential for life, that God is calling all people to belong to his people, to belong to a healthy church community. And I emphasize that word healthy today because that's really the key. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Everybody say healthy. Ah, doesn't that sound nice? Like health. Like health. Like we're, we're praying to God right now for physical health. And in Jesus' name, may COVID go away forever and ever. Amen? Physical health. We're praying for relational health. We're praying that relationship, relationships would stop crumbling, that, that relationships would stop falling apart, that God would, would, would help us to flourish in relationships and in health. We're praying for spiritual health, that, oh God, give me a healthy relationship with you, a, a real authentic relationship. May God not be a concept or, or an opinion or some kind of philosophical concept. May he be a living reality in my heart and in my life. Church health. Church health. Church health. The best thing we could provide our communities, the best service we could give to people in our communities is a healthy, functioning church. If we can have a healthy church, we would be serving our community like you couldn't believe. And the question becomes, well, what does a healthy church do? 
Like, what does it look like? Because here's the problem. I mean, and you've learned this in your life. You can't just walk into a room and read people's minds. I wish we could, don't you? <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could. Well, I wish people could read my mind so everybody could know what I really want. But we can't read minds. And so how do you decide, like, what, like how do you decide what a healthy church looks like? And you've got to look at what a church does. You've got to look at their consistent activities because what people really do in their life is what they really believe. If you want to know what a person believes, just follow them around for a month and you'll figure out real quick what they really believe. Because we can all say whatever we want. We can say, oh yeah, you know, I'm about America and God and blah, blah, blah. You can say whatever you want, but man, you follow people around, you'll figure it out. I mean, I could say I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> but then you're going to follow me around, you're going to find I got a cowboy hat, right? You're like, that's so gross. Okay, I'll keep moving. <laughs> right? What does a church that's healthy really do? And what I've decided to do for us moving forward, because in a COVID world, you've got to keep things simple without being simplistic. And what we have to do as a church is we got to do a few things really well to be a healthy church community. And I've summarized those, those things in four statements. I call them what we need from everybody is we need four G's. We need, we need to gather to worship. We need to grow in the word. We need to give to the work. And we need to go to the world. And if we can be a church that does those four G's, we will be a healthy church community. And I'm going to put those, those, those four G's, I'm going to put everywhere. They're already on the website. Can I get a hallelujah? They're on the app. We're going to put them on the walls. Those four G's, if you want to be a member, you're going to come to a membership class. I'm going to say it's going to cost you four G's to be a part of this church. You <laughs> say, good grief. Preachers do only talk about money. Oh, my gosh. I'm ready for the TV, man. I'm telling you, I'm ready. I'm ready. Four Gs. We got to gather to worship. We got to grow in the Word. We got to give to the work. And we got to go to the world. We got to bake these values into our community. I want you to be, I want you to dream, I want you to be talking about these values in your sleep. The other night, Sherry Baby was talking in her sleep. I, said, I was sitting there reading a book, and she started talking. I was like, what are you talking about, baby? She goes, there's a cheeseburger in the microwave for you. And I was like, all right, baby, I'll go eat it. You go back to sleep. She goes, okay. And I want you dreaming about these values. I want you to be dreaming, and you're just dreaming. You're like, gather to worship. Grow in the word. You're like, please stop doing that. No, not until I get through all four. <laughs> give to the work. Honey, we've got to give to the work. We've got to go to the world. This out, man. Come on, man. You're all alliterating and being all clever. You're like this short, vertically challenged, you know, being all clever guy, alliterating. But is it really biblical? Like, are you really being biblical? Like, are, are you really getting that from the Bible? Absolutely. Because when we come to Acts chapter 2, 
and we come to Luke's summary of the earliest church, we find out that they too were committed to the four G's. That they too were committed to actively participating in this church. And so let's look at these four G's and, and make sure that that we are extracting as a church our principles from the Bible, that we're not imposing our ideas on the Bible, but we're actually pulling our life from the Bible. And we're pulling the story of the Bible out, and we're saying, I want to integrate my life and my church into the story of the Bible. And so the first thing is, well, what did this church community do? Number one, they gathered to worship. They gathered to worship God. Look at verse 42, Acts 2, verse 42, such an important statement. It says here, it says, and they devoted, you could circle that word devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I want you to see something, because Okay, so you have, okay, different volume there, that's cool. <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So that's what I was going to say. When you look at that verse, you can see that it has definite articles. I know I'm being technical, but it has definite articles before each of those four activities. The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So what we expect the text to say is we expect it to say, and they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Because we're casual. See, we, we Americans, we like things casual. We're like, yeah, man, I just want to hang out with you, and like, maybe we'll pray a little bit, and... Some pizza and some Mountain Dew would be nice. And maybe we'll just kind of teach and have like share our, our hearts and our ideas and what we really believe. And my story and your story and we'll share our stories together and we'll teach in that way. Like we want it to be casual, but that's not what the text does. The text formalizes worship. It makes, it makes worship formal. It says the apostles' teaching, the fellowship. The breaking of bread. In other words, that's a special meal. That's not just any pizza. Can I get an amen? The prayers. In fact, these early Christians probably had like a set of formal prayers that they were saying. I would put my money on, although I'm not a gambling man because I'm kind of Baptist, but still. I would put my money on. I bet you one of the prayers that they said regularly was the Lord's Prayer. How many of y'all want to bet that with me, right? So they had set prayers that they would say. And the point Luke is making is that these Christians were gathering together in a formal setting. It was not casual. Nothing casual about it. They were coming together as God's people. And they had a set day. We know that they gathered on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus defeated death. That's why we meet on Sundays. And they were basically following a Jewish synagogue structure of worshiping God together. 
Now, I understand. I get it. Listen, I believe with all of my heart that all of our lives should be an expression of worship. This world is my parish. When I walk out, the way I'm married, the way I parent, the way I treat people is an expression of worship. But please see that the Bible, from the time of Moses and the Exodus, all the way to Revelation and John on the island of Patmos, when he was in the Spirit, worshiping with the churches in the Spirit, even though he couldn't be with his churches, there is the call of God to his people to come together, amen, to worship God formally to have public prayers, to read scripture, to preach the word of God, to have fellowship and to take communion together. Does, what, does the way we do communion look like what the first Christians did? Probably not. But in essence, we do the breaking of bread, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. We show the gospel. We love each other and we remind ourselves that we've been called to come together to worship. And that is like the big E on the I chart of, of church. If we could do nothing else, if we could never gather in our homes ever again, if we could never have, you know, I don't know, a church softball team again, if we could never, I don't know, have a building or a sound system, which I'm sure the sound guys right now are like, I'm cool with that. Yet still, we would still be the church if we got together once a week and declared the mighty deeds of God. And we said to the world, we said, our God is mighty. He delivered Israel and he delivered us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater than Moses because he's delivered us from the slavery of sin, Satan, and society. And why? Why do Christians get together to worship God? It's not primarily or first a therapy issue. It is a confession. My God is great no matter what my life is doing. My God is great no matter what's happening in the world. My God is still sovereign. That's why we worship. These Christians, oh, these Christians, they realize that Jesus has defeated death. And they say, man, we come together to declare the victory of Jesus over death. What is worship? Worship is two things. It's praise and it's protest. It's praising the mightiness of God and it is protesting an anti-God world. It protests every anti-God spirit that tells you and I that God is not relevant, that God is not real, that God is not relevant to the real business of life. And every time you sing a song, every time you open up a Bible in church, you are protesting a world that says that that is a useless activity. It's always been that way. And in a post-COVID world, let me tell you something about this value. This gathering to worship is a big deal because people get out of the habit of going to church Right? We got all kinds of rationalizations now for not going to church. We say, well, you know, now it's kind of a sick world, and I'll just kind of, it'll just be me and Jesus up on a, on a mountain somewhere in Wisconsin. I said, no, man. If you got to do it online, you got to do it online. If you got to do it in person, but we've got to call people to gather together in Jesus' name to worship God. We cannot rationalize this away. It is too powerful. It is too important. You know, it's like, I remember when I was growing up, when I was 16, 
I had the sweetest car. It was a Camaro. It was sweet. Everybody say, sweet. Woo. Man, I was hot. I was tall then, too. And very muscular. I had this, it had like blacked out tint. I had 10-inch kickers in the back of that thing, an Alpine amp. I had a Pioneer Super Tuner 3 stereo pull-out. Can I get a hallelujah? I carried that pull-out stereo like a briefcase around school. I was like, it's my Super Tuner 3. And my parents had leverage because my parents would say to me, okay, all right, we'll let you have your Camaro and your Super Tuner 3 Pioneer stereo, but you got to go to church. If you don't go to church, we're going to take your keys away from you. So you don't have to ride with us, and you don't have to sit with mom and dad. You can do whatever you want, but you got to come to church. If you don't come to church, I'm taking the keys from you. That's called leverage. And my mom used to say this to me. Forgive me, online and you here in person, but this is what my mom said. She said, get your butt to church and your heart will follow. Can I get an amen? And so I was called into ministry. But anyways... That's what we got to tell people in a roundabout way. I mean, I'm not going to use those exact words because I'm pastoral and I glow in the dark, but I got to call people to gather to worship. And if we're going to be an effective church, equipping and encouraging more families to follow Jesus in a fallen world, the first step is to show up to church, to lift up our hands and our voices, to laugh at the bad jokes, to open up the Bible, to take notes, to learn and worship together, and God will bless that in our community. That's what these people were doing. They were praising God, it says in verse 47. Praising God. So we got to gather to worship. That's the first G. And you know what worship is, is it's, it's a lot of talking to God. We're talking to God. We're singing to God. We're confessing God. We're praying to God in worship. But worship also includes God speaking to us. And so the second G is really important because what we've got to do is we've got to grow in the word. That has to be our second value. We gather to worship. We grow in the word. Look again at verse 42. It says there in Acts 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word devoted means they paid persistent attention to. So they, they paid persistent attention to all these activities, but note the first thing on their activity list. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We say, well, what's the apostles' teaching? Well, essentially, the apostles' teaching is the New Testament. The New Testament has apostolic Holy Spirit authority. We believe that the New Testament is God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Peter, in 2 Peter, he tells us that, that the Bible and Scripture is not of man's own opinion, but men were moved along by the Holy Spirit. and The, the, the apostles were moved along by the Holy Spirit. They proclaimed the message of Jesus and then recorded it. You say, well, what about the Old Testament? Do we believe in the Old Testament, Pastor? We better. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and following gives us not only the teaching of the apostles, but the prophets. Look at this. Ephesians 2 and 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Amazing verse. That's who you're a member of God's household. 
Wow. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so, what's the prophets? So the church is built on the foundation of the prophets. Wow, that hand is really sweaty from holding that. And the apostles. We got the prophets and we got the apostles. We got the Old Testament and we got the New Testament. And it says Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone, which means that Jesus is the message of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. Amen? And so what we do is we come together, and we are growing in the word of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 New Testament books, and we're preaching Jesus in all of them. We're preaching the gospel in all of them. Next week, we'll start a series on the book of Ruth, an Old Testament, very old book. And what we're going to find in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament is we're going to find who? Jesus. Because there's a man in that book called Boaz, and he is a kinsman redeemer. And that kinsman redeemer, Boaz, is a picture of Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer. And we're going to learn that in a time of famine, in a time of political corruption, in a time of, of, of drought, spiritual and physical, and in sickness, and people are dying and hungry and all kinds of things, we're going to find in that book that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer in such a time, and he's our savior. You say, what does a church do? A church opens up the Bible and teaches the Bible and is committed to the teaching and preaching of the Bible. And it's not like we go, well, you know, we need, we need more than just Bible teaching. It's like, no, we don't. No, no. No, that's, that's it. Like, that's the fuel for all the rest of our life It's the Bible. We say, man, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you got to hear the word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You say, I want to hear the voice of Jesus in my life. Well, then you've got to learn the Bible. You're not going to hear the voice of Jesus by, you know, having your own little, you know, time alone and having gooey, gooey feelings and singing broad, vague songs about Jesus. You're going to hear from Jesus when you learn the word of God and you eat it, man. And it's your, it's your bread. It's your life. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus himself, when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, and Satan came to him and said, you're the son of God. You're so awesome. You should turn that, that little stone into bread. I'm sure Satan didn't talk like that, but you know what I'm saying. And Jesus did not rely on his own wit. Jesus himself didn't answer one word from his own wit. Every word he spoke to Satan was scripture. And do you have scripture tucked away in your heart and in your mind? The world comes to us and says, well, you know, any, any sacred thing you believe needs to fit inside of your story. The world teaches our children and teaches us, and we're complicit in this, man. We're Listen, let me tell you something. This seed is in my heart, too. I feel like the Bible needs to fit into what I'm doing. It needs to fit into my agenda. 
that God somehow should fit into my story. And if God won't fit into my story, well, I guess I'll go find another God. The Bible comes to us and says, no, man, that's not the way life works. You get to integrate your life into the story of God. And the Bible is a story. It's a love story. It's a story of redemption and truth. And God says, what I want you to do is ask yourself and to self-examine yourself and, and to begin to integrate your life into the story of Jesus and the word of God. And to connect. I've got a, by the way, I have not told you yet, I've got a YouTube channel. Can I get an amen? Redeem Media. And I'm, I'm, it's a podcast, and it's, I haven't done anything much with it lately, but I'm going to download these sermons on that. But Redeem Media, and my little saying with Redeem Media, I got a little motto. Isn't that clever? And my motto is this, connecting the riches of Christ to the realities of life. And that's what we do with the Bible. We connect the truth of Scripture to the realities of life. There's the poetry of God's Word, and there's the plumbing issues of my life. My life's a mess. How about yours? My life is filled with anxieties and issues, and it's like I constantly need a plunger for my life. You're like, that's gross. Life is gross. God is beautiful. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is taking the beauty of this word and connecting it to sometimes the ugliness of my life, and then I have wisdom. Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching. Peter said, you would do well to pay attention to scripture as to a light in a dark place. David said in the Psalms, your word, O Lord, is honey to my lips. Those little Hebrew children, when David was growing up, little King David was growing up, and the way he learned Scripture is they would force him to learn Scripture. Can the parents please say amen? Force your kids to know that Bible. And what they would do with little David is they would say, David, if you memorize the Scripture and the law of Moses, will put honey on your lips. You'll get a little treat put on your tongue. And so when he was a little boy, he would, he would get honey on his lips every time he got a Scripture memory right. And so when he became a grown man and he was writing the Psalms, he says, your word is honey to my lips. And that's what we learn. The word of God is sweet. It's good and it's sufficient and it's supreme and it's reliable to base your life on. And so if somebody says, what's your church like? Like, tell me about your church. Say, we are a Bible-teaching church. That's what we are. We open up that Bible and we preach it and sweat and say dumb things sometimes, but we preach the word. And then we get together in our homes and we share the word. And we have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies. And we have solid books that help us to understand the Bible. But at the end of the day, the Bible is the final authority in our life and in our ministry. We gather to worship. We grow in the word. The third G. Moving a little more rapidly now. The third G is we give to the work. We must be a church that gives to the work. And note what's happening here. Note in verse 44, Acts 2, verse 44. Interesting verses, by the way. 
It says here, and all who believed were together. By the way, man, let me just say this. We are not saved to be the individuals of God. We are saved to be the people of God. Amen? So we do this together. We're in this together. I love that. They had all things together. They believed together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, these are interesting verses because some people have have extracted from these verses some kind of weird, like, Christian socialism progressive thing. And I promise you this. And, of course, you got to keep in mind, I'm from Oklahoma, so I wore belt buckles that said, God, guns, and guts made America free. So understand where I'm coming from. But it's not socialism. And here's the reason why. is because it's volunteer. It's not under compulsion. These people are meeting needs as the the Holy Spirit is leading them. And lots of people are coming from around the world, and they're in Jerusalem in the midst of a famine. These people are displaced, dislocated. And for them to be the church, people had to sell some of their their ownings so that they could provide for people who are misplaced or experiencing financial economic times. So it was all volunteer, but the principle and the essence is there. It's the generosity. It's generosity, radical generosity. And we see in verse 46 that this generosity of the church flows from what? It flows from the heart. It says that they had glad and generous hearts. And so what is a church? A church is a giving community of people. A church is is radically generous in every possible way. Like, not only are, are they radically generous financially, which I'll get to here in a minute, but they're radically generous in, in kindness. People wanted to be with these people. There was a buzz about this community. They had favor with all the people in verse 47. Well, no wonder they had favor with all the people. Because the generosity just abounded and flowed. They were generous with their time. They were generous with their spirit and their heart. They were kind and loving. And of course, financially, they were totally committed to the work of the gospel. The Apostle Paul would tell the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, actually verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is our community right here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, it can't be a guilt thing. For God loves a cheerful giver. What's, what are these verses telling us? It's not telling us that God has a money problem. How many of y'all know God does not have a money problem? Like, he does not have a money problem. D.L. Moody used to say, I work for God, and he is rich. It's like, amen, I like that. I do too. And God always provides for his people. But what is God doing? God tests his people on this very issue. It's why Jesus talked about money. He talked about money more than he talked about death or hell or heaven. He talked about money all the time. Because until people could put their financial life into the hands of God, they could not receive all that God means for their life. And beloved, 
If we're going to be an encouraging and equipping church for families to find and follow Jesus in a fallen world, we have to be generous in every possible way. We have to be generous with our time and our talents and our treasure and our testimony. Look around you, man. You know, we're like a, we're like a, we're like a church plant. We're like starting over. I mean, we celebrate our past and what God's done, but we're not living in the past. We're learning from the past, and we're moving forward. We're like a church plant, and when you look around, we have an amazing group here today, and we got people online. We're like a church plant, except we have a building that we own with no debt. Can I get an amen? We are financially secure. We are awesome, and so we're all made ready to move forward and reach people. In order to do that, Everyone needs to commit to giving a biblical portion out of their finances, giving time and talents. That's why the prophets talked about it all the time. Jesus set up the church to operate that way to test us because we live in a world that wants to make us consumers. We're obsessed with stuff and things, and Jesus wants to make us contributors. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This church filled with the Holy Spirit, was a giving church. And the reason why God says, I I love a cheerful giver is because when we're generous, it's because generous people begin to understand how the gospel works. Because how are we saved? We're not saved by what we give to the church, amen? We're not saved by works. We're not saved by doing four values. We're not saved by four G's. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're made right with God, not because of what we do for God, but what Jesus has done for us. God's given us his son, Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. These are all economic terms. Why does the Bible talk about the gospel in economic terms? Because God is telling you and I we've got everything we could possibly want in Jesus. So the only thing left to do is to spend our life giving Jesus to other people. Jim Elliott, he was the guy, he was a missionary, and Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or to quote the Yukon, Oklahoma poet Garth Brooks. If you're living only for things that money can buy, you're not living. G.K. Chesterton said, if, if life is not worth giving, it's not worth living. And Paul said, we can take nothing with us. Naked we came into the world, naked we will leave it. So the only thing left to do is to spend our life for the glory of God and to spread the gospel. Tabernacle Church, this is a challenge. In the love and in the gospel and the grace of God, we must be a great giving church. 
And if you've gotten off of the train of giving, you need to jump back on. And if you can't and you're like, oh, you're making me feel guilty, well, then don't do anything except go home and evaluate the gospel. Get right with God. And if you're not a Christian, please don't give anything unless you feel compelled. Can I get a hallelujah? I mean, sometimes God lays up the money of the unrighteous for the righteous, so we'll take it. It's the book of Proverbs. But the goal for you is to take Jesus into your heart and to know that you're loved by God and Jesus and you have the whole kingdom of God as your inheritance. And our job is to spread the gospel. And we got to be a great giving church. There's a lot I could say about that part, but we'll move on. So we got to be giving, man, in our time and our talents, our treasure. We're growing in the word. We're gathering to worship. And finally, we are going to the world. you got to go to the world. It says there in verse 47, he says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. I love that. Having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I must admit, how much time do I have? Not much. I must admit that right here in these verses is a little bit of a seed of weakness. It proves that this church is not perfect. And the reason why is because this church is falling in love with being the community in Jerusalem. And Jesus had said, you got to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this church is having a problem. And later, Jesus, or God's going to sovereignly allow a persecution to scatter them so that they'll go to the ends of the world. So this church is going to be blown up so that more people can go and more people can be reached by Jesus Christ. We are more than willing to admit to anyone here online or in this church that even in this church, God allowed a bitter providence of separation and people leaving. Let's just call it what it is. And what we're praying is happening is that God's working all things together for good and more people will be reached as a result of their ministry and our ministry as a result of that persecution. Can I get an amen? And we are pulling for all believers, even those that we sometimes disagree with, to reach people for Jesus Christ because that is the goal. But this church has favor with the people. They're welcoming. They're open. They want people to come. They expect people to come and join their community. They expect new people to believe and get baptized. And they are going. How do we go? We go this way. We get committed to inviting people to church. We get committed to sharing our testimony with people. We get committed to sending missionaries. Part of the way that I go is I help send missionaries financially, right? We help missionaries reach nations. Our family, we're committed to that. And as a church, we're committed to that. But everything about our ministry is about going. We go from church more than we come to church. The mission is not community. The community exists for mission. That's what Acts is telling us. So the goal is not to be friends and buddy-buddy for the rest of our lives. Friendship is a part of it. Family is a part of it. Connecting and loving one another and weeping together and laughing together is a part of it. But the whole reason why we're gathered together is so that we can go and make disciples. So that we can go, encourage, and equip more families to follow Jesus in a fallen world. We're an outreach church. We are a missionary outpost. 
And from this ministry, missionaries will be called. Children who are running around through our aisles while I preach, some of them will be called to be missionaries one day. We will raise up missionaries and church planters, and, and we're going to go and invite our friends, and we're going to go to Kenosha and Wisconsin and the United States of America and to the whole world with the gospel of Jesus through this ministry. We go to the world because if we've been saved by grace, then anyone can be saved by grace. Isn't that the meaning of grace? Isn't that the meaning? Doesn't grace mean that I am no more deserving of God's love than anybody else? Like, I have never met another human being that is less deserving of God's love than I am. I was a lost cause. I used to go and do prison ministry, jail ministry. I've been, I've been on the streets. I've, I've preached the gospel to very broken people, and I have yet to meet somebody who is less deserving or maybe I should say, I've never met someone whom I'm more deserving of God's grace than they are. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. That puts me in debt, not to God, but to sinners. That puts me in debt to broken people to share with them what I have received, the love of God. We go to the world. We go to the world. So I don't know, man. Should I be a part of this church? What's it going to cost me to be a part of this church? Four G's. We gather to worship. We grow in the word. We give to the work. We go to the world. We gather to worship because we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We grow in the word because transformation does not come from new beliefs, doesn't come from new efforts, but from new beliefs. We give to the word because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We go to the world because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, because Jesus said, I came for the sick, I'm a physician, I'm a healer, I'm a savior, I'm a redeemer. That's why we go to the world. We believe in these four G's as values that will help us to encourage and equip more families to follow Jesus in a fallen world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your word and this early community. We know this early church community itself was not perfect. We know reading the book of Acts, they were not perfect, but they were a healthy community. And we need your help. We want to be healthy too. We want to be thriving and flourishing in the way that you would want us to. So fill us with your spirit. God, I pray for anybody here who's watching or who's here in person who might not know you. And this, is, this would all be kind of disorienting if, if somebody was not redeemed or not forgiven by you. And so I just pray you would open up their hearts to receive your forgiveness and that you would awaken them to the fact that Jesus died for our sins and defeated death. Lord, that you would give them the greatest gift ever, the treasure of the person and the work of Jesus. For the rest of us, God, continue to shape us and convict us and comfort us and send us and encourage us. And now we come to this time of communion and, Lord, we admit we've sinned and we've fallen short of your glory in our life. 
And yet we're so grateful we get to celebrate a meal that reminds us that we're forgiven. So bless that as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.